Alright, there it goes. So we read there in John chapter number 2, and uh, we just read the account of the very first miracle that Jesus, that the Lord Jesus Christ performed. And um, I'd like us to just look at a few lessons that we can learn from this miracle, the beginning of miracles. Okay, so we just read this miracle here, the very first miracle that Jesus Christ ever performed. We saw there, the Bible says that he was in Cana of Galilee, he was at a wedding, they had no wine. And he turned water into wine. Now there's a lot of misconceptions about this. There's a lot of things that you can learn about this. So I want you to get that. So let's just get right into it. Lesson number one from the beginning of miracles. The very first lesson we can learn from this is this. The Bible says, uh, look at verse 1. Genesis chapter number 2, look at verse 1. The Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servant, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So what's the first lesson that we can learn from this beginning of miracles? Well, the first lesson is this. Mary holds no control over the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary holds no control over the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary tells Jesus that they're out of wine in an attempt to get Him to do something about it. Uh, if you see there, it says the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was called. Verse 3, it says, And when the and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto Him, They have no wine. So she goes to Jesus and she says, They have no wine. And look what Jesus responds. He says, verse 4, And Jesus saith unto her, referring to Mary, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So what he was saying was this. What relationship do you think we have in which uh, you act as if you can control me? Or you act as if you can influence me? Now we understand that, that Mary was the mother of Jesus Christ physically. But uh, we're going to see here in a moment that Jesus is God. So he wasn't being disrespectful to his mother. I don't want you guys to answer your mother this way. Okay? If your mom tells you to turn water into wine, then you just say yes ma'am. But... He wasn't being disrespectful when he said that, but he was just acknowledging the relationship. Because see, we think Mary is his mother, but he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? And you think, well, what you have to do with Mary is that she's your mother. But what we got to think about is that Jesus is God. So he's acknowledging this relationship because Mary knows that Jesus is God. She knows that he came from heaven. And so he asked her, what have I to do with thee? Letting her know, hey, look, I am God. You're a woman and you cannot control Jesus Christ. Mary has no, holds no control over Jesus Christ. Today, there are religions, and uh, mainly the Roman Catholic Church, who believe that Mary holds some sort of influential power over Jesus Christ. They believe that Mary has some uh, influence over Jesus, and Catholics actually believe that they can pray to Mary in order to influence Jesus. So they pray to Mary, and they ask Mary on behalf of Jesus Christ, and then they want Mary to ask Jesus on their behalf. Not only do they pray to Mary, but they have a lot of saints that they pray to, and they actually have different saints who they pray for different things. So if you lost your keys, you have a saint you pray to uh, that helps you find things you lost. If you uh, want money, then you pray to the saint of the money. Or whatever. I don't know how it works. I've never been a Catholic. But they have different uh, different saints and people that they pray to in order to... to to influence uh, God in heaven. Mary has no influence over Christ in heaven. Now think about this. If, if Mary couldn't get Jesus to do what she wanted Him to do on planet earth, why do you think that in heaven, when Jesus is in His glorified body, when Jesus is sitting on His throne as God, 
that Mary has some sort of influence where she can go to him. If she couldn't get him to do what he, she wanted him to do in heaven, she can't get him to do anything on earth. But let me, let me read this for you. This is a quote of a Catholic prayer. It's a very famous Catholic prayer. It's called the, the Hail Mary. And this is what the Catholics pray to Mary. They say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Now, let, let, let me read this to you. Let me, let me just explain some things for you. It says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now, I, I just want to... A few things just jumped out at me when I... I, I didn't even put this in my notes, but... The, the prayer says, Hail Mary, full of grace. And I want you to... We were in, in John chapter number 1 last week. And I want you to look at what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Look at verse... Go to John chapter number 1. Are you in John chapter 1? Uh, John chapter 2? Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Look what it says. Talking about the Word. Talking about Jesus Christ. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. I mean, the Word was made flesh. It was Jesus Christ. And look what it says about the only begotten of the Father. Look what it says. Full of grace and truth. John 1.14 says that Jesus Christ, that the Word is full of grace. But let me read it for you again. This is what the Catholics pray. Hail Mary, full of grace. So according to the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Word is full of grace. According to to the Catholics, Mary is full of grace. That's interesting. Say, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And then the the next verse says this. Holy Mary. Now that word holy is interesting that they would attribute that to a woman. Now look, I understand that when we get saved, the Bible says that we get uh, uh, that, that we are set apart and we are sanctified. And I understand that when God looks at me, He sees me as holy because uh, my my sins have been taken away and they were put on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that His righteousness was put was put on me. So when God sees me, He sees Jesus Christ as holy. We understand that. But look, I don't want to. I, I would never call somebody else holy, like. Holy Father or Holy Person. They call her Holy Mary. That's that's a name. I mean, we call the Bible the Holy Bible because it's perfect. And we call God Holy, the Holy Father, because He's perfect and He's holy. But they give that name, that that title of, of Holy to Mary. They say Mary is full of grace. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the Word, is full of grace. They gave the name holy to her when the Bible says that God is holy. And we understand, I mean, God said uh, that we should be holy because He's holy. I understand that we can be holy and, and all of that. But that's just kind of a blasphemous thing to be putting out there. But then look at what it says. Mother of God. They say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. They call it Mary, Mother of God. Now, are you there in John chapter number 1? Remember, we're looking at verse 14. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, according to John chapter number 14, the Word is Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We understand it's Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So according to the Bible, Jesus Christ is the Word. Jesus Christ is God. The Word is God, and the Word created all things. Right? Now, go with me to the book of Revelation. Actually, 
Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Go with me to Hebrews. And go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. While you go to Hebrews chapter number 7, I'll read for you a few passages out of Revelation. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. You want to go past First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then you'll find Hebrews. If you're in James, if you're in First uh, and Second Peter, if you're in First and Second and Third John, you went too far. Hebrews chapter number seven, and let me read for you a few quotes from Jesus Christ in Revelation. Revelation one says this. One eight says this: "I am Alpha and Omega." This is what God. This is what Jesus Christ said. He said, "I am Alpha and Omega." The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 22.13 says this, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Revelation 22.16 says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So Jesus Christ said that He is the root and He is the offspring. So He's given us a picture here of like a tree. Think about an apple tree or an orange tree. And Jesus Christ says, do you, know, do you guys know what the root of a tree is? Do you understand what that's talking about? When it's talking about that? So the Bible says that Jesus Christ said, I am not only the root of the tree, He said, I'm the offspring or I'm the fruit. So if you have an apple tree, Jesus Christ says, I am the apple and I am the root. That's why He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. I am the first and the last. He says, I'm the root and the offspring. Are you in Hebrews 7? Look at verse 3. Now Hebrews chapter number 7 and verse 3 is talking about Melchizedek who is the high priest of God. And we're going to see Melchizedek here in a second. But he's talking about Melchizedek who is Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. I just want to let, let you know that. And look at Hebrews chapter number 7 look at verse 3. The Bible says, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So according to the Bible, Melchizedek, who is Jesus Christ, now I've heard people say, well it says like unto the Son of God, so that means that he's not God, or that he's not Jesus Christ, he's not the Son of God, Melchizedek is just a person. Well look, that's, I mean if Melchizedek is just a person, the Bible says, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So, that's pretty weird. If that's not, that's God, that, and if that's not Jesus Christ, and it says, like unto the Son of God, well, Revelation 1.14 says, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the only begotten of the Father. And it says, as of the only begotten of the Father. It's the same terminology, but no one would dispute that John 1.14 is Jesus Christ, obviously. But people want to dispute that Hebrews 7.3 isn't Jesus Christ. Whatever. It's Jesus Christ, obviously. But look what it says. Without father, without mother. So when the Catholic says, Holy Mary, Mother of God, that's blasphemous because the Bible says that God has no mother. The Bible says that God is eternal. The Bible says that God has... He says he's without descent. You know, descent means that he didn't come from anybody. He didn't descend from anybody. We descended from, there was Adam with Eve, and then there was different people who were born after, you know, obviously you go through, and then we came from, you know, our father, and our father came from our grandfather, and we descended from somebody. The Bible says that God is without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days. The Bible says that God never began. Think about that. 
He never started. There was never a start. See, for us, my life started, uh, you know, nine months before February 1st, 1986. I was born February 1st, 1986. My life started nine months before that when I was conceived. But the Bible says that God never started. He always was. He has, he has no beginning of days and no end of life. He's eternal. He will live forever, and He's lived forever, and He's never had a beginning, and He never has an end. And, and God says, because of that, because He's eternal, He's without a mother, He's without a father. So it is blasphemous to say that Mary is the mother of God, because God has no mother. Do you understand that? God has no mother. Now, this is what you got to understand about, and, and it takes faith. But Jesus Christ physically was born from Mary's womb, his physical body. Because Jesus Christ was 100% man, and he was 100% God at the same time. So physically, Jesus Christ was born of Mary, and yes, Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ, but Mary is not the mother of God. Now, Jesus Christ is God, but she's the mother of Jesus Christ physically, his physical body, but not... God, you say, I don't understand that. I don't understand it either. You just accept it by faith because that's what the Bible says. So let's move on. Uh, go to John chapter number 2, look at verse 5. John chapter number 2, and look at verse 5. Mary learns quickly that even uh, if she is the physical mother of Jesus Christ, uh, He is in control, not her. She learns that very quickly. He kind of talks back to her. Uh, we understand not in a rude way because He is God, so He can talk to whoever, however He chooses. But he, he questions the relationship that she believes she has with God in the flesh. And look at verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So, he said, so she learns very quickly. Okay, whatever he says, he's in charge. So, if Mary can't tell, what Jesus, tell Jesus what to do here physically, why would we think we're going to pray to Mary and she has control over God in heaven? So we shouldn't be praying to Mary or any other saints... Uh, and let me show you a verse on that because I, I, wa- I want you to learn the Bible especially on, on Wednesday nights we're studying the Bible so take your Bibles if you were just in Hebrews if you remember Hebrews is go to 1 Timothy 1 Timothy is, is just a few books before Hebrews if you want to go back in your Bibles if you're in Hebrews go back through Titus go back to 2 Timothy and go back to 1 Timothy and look at chapter number 2 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse 5. We're going to do this quickly. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse 5. The Bible says, For there is one God. And look what it says. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. So if, we're, if a man wants to pray to somebody to mediate between him and God, we pray to Jesus Christ. Not Mary, not saints, there's not a prophet, there's not a pope, there's not a, uh, 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 a person that can do that mediation for us, other than, according to 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse 5, Jesus Christ. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, and that's it. So, lesson number one, Mary cannot has no power over God in heaven. We can't go to Mary for anything. We shouldn't be praying for Mary. Now look, Mary was a good woman. And she was a, a very a blessed young woman, and, and God obviously saw something in her and chose to use her, and she must have been a very righteous young lady and a very uh, a, a good woman, but that's all she was, was a woman. 
and, we're, and we thank God for Mary, but we don't pray to her. She's just a human being, like you're a human being. She needed to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior, as we accept Him, and she was a sinner. She's not anything other than that. And she's de- definitely not the mother of God. So, lesson number two, from the beginning of miracles. Lesson number one was that Mary has no special anything. We cannot go to Mary. She has no control over Jesus Christ. Lesson number two is this, from the beginning of miracles. Jesus did not turn water into alcohol. Now, you hear this all the time. There's a major misconception from uh, the story that they, people say all the time, Jesus turned water into wine, and they think that wine is uh, referring to alcohol. And I want to show you from the Bible why that's not correct. Now, just real quickly, go with me to the Old Testament, to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. If you take your Bible and, and open it just right in the center, you'll more than likely end up in the book of Psalms. So just right... To the, to the right of the book of Psalms is the book of Proverbs, and look at chapter number 20. The book of Proverbs, and look at chapter number 20, and look at verse 1. Proverbs chapter number 20, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, wine... Well, actually, before I do this, let me explain this to you. We here at Verity Baptist Church believe that the King James Bible is the Word of God. Period. We use the King James Bible, and, and that's what we use, and that's what we believe. One thing you got to understand is, the King James Bible was translated into English in the year 1611, right? Right now we are in the 21st century, we're just talking about this, and, uh, and, and you know, we're in year 2011. Well, the King James Bible was translated in 1611, which is, which is over 400 years ago. Well, in, in 1611, they did not have our modern day word for juice, if you understand what juice is, you know it comes from the, the fruit there. They did not have that modern that modern day word. That that word juice is juice is a uh, a word that we use today. In 1611, when the Bible when the King James Bible was translated, they had they used the word wine in place of the word juice. Okay, and then they also used the word wine to talk about a juice that had been fermented or turned into alcohol, which is what we know as wine today. So the Bible has uh, two meanings for that word wine. It can mean alcohol, or it can mean juice, just like grape juice or orange juice, whatever. Look at Proverbs chapter number 20, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever deceiveth, or whosoever is deceived thereby, is not wise. Let me read that again. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You're in Proverbs chapter number 20, go to Proverbs chapter number 23. Proverbs chapter number 23, and look at verse 29. Proverbs chapter number 23, and look at verse 29. The Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his color in the cup. When it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent. It stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. And thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. And I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? Look what it says. I will seek it yet again. 
Let me tell you something. God is against Christians and against anybody drinking alcohol. Obviously, these passages are talking about alcoholic wine. You say, well, well, the word wine can be either juice or can be either alcohol. What is this passage talking about? It's talking about alcohol. I mean, you, you can get that very uh, quickly from the passage. He says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? When you, if you ever, and I hope to God that you never be around anybody who's ever drunk, but if you ever see somebody who's drunk, you'll see that they're babbling. They're just talking. And the Bible says, Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of their eyes? Their eyes get bloodshot red? It says, They that tarry long at the wine, they that go and seek mixed wine. And look what verse 31 says. God says, Look not thou upon the wine. Let me tell you something, kids. Don't even look at alcohol. One day, you know, as you grow up, you're going to get maybe, hopefully not, but more than likely, you're going to have friends, or, or when you go to work, you're going to have co-workers, or you're going to have people who maybe you go to church with, or people you go to school with, or people you go to college with, whatever, uh, or, or just work, or just neighbors, or people you're going to meet. And look, at some point, somebody's going to offer you alcohol. Somebody's going to offer you a beer, or somebody's going to offer you that type of thing. Let me tell you something. God says, don't even look at it. God says, don't drink it. God says, it's wicked. It's wrong. He says, and if you're deceived thereby, you're not wise. I'm just going to take the time and just brainwash you kids right now. And just get it in your head. Alcohol is evil. Alcohol is wrong. And let me tell you something. If someone offers you alcohol, they want to take advantage of you. They're going to take advantage of you. The Bible says, if you read the passages where people, every time you, you take, you, you put alcohol in the mix in any of these stories, you find people taking their clothes off, you find people t- being taken advantage of, you find people doing horrible and wicked things because of alcohol. And it is wrong. Don't do it. It's very clear from these passages and the context that the wine being referred to as alcoholic wine. And God says, if you drink alcohol or wine, you are not wise. God says to not even look at that type of alcohol. And you know what? We live in this world where we just... People... I mean, people, even people I work with, they just want to like glorify alcohol. I mean, it's just like that is the thing to do. I mean, on Friday nights, you just can't wait to go down to the bar. Or you can just can't wait to go down to that restaurant. Or, or it just becomes this common thing. You just have wine with your meal. Look, the Bible says it's filthy and it's wrong. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter if people think you're insane. I mean, people at work, uh, they ask me, oh, do you drink? And I say, I don't drink. And they're like, oh, you mean like... Like, you don't drink often. Like, you, you drink sometimes, right? And I was like, no, I don't drink at all. I don't even look at it. I don't even want to look at it. Because God says don't even look at it. And they, and they think you're insane. But look, it's time for Christians to get off of... I feel like Christians, we're always on this defensive mode. Like, we're just, uh, you know... Do you watch TV? No. And we're just on this defensive. Do you drink alcohol? No. And we're on this defensive. And, and we let the world uh, treat us like we're weird. Or, or treat us like there's something wrong with us. And look... It's time in this, and I believe this is why we have so many Christians who just go to the world, especially teenagers or young kids, just go to the world because their whole life they've been taught by by the pastors or by their uh, family to just be on this defensive and to just be like, oh, you know. And when you're with the family, well, you know, we don't watch those types, and, and and we're on this defensive. We feel bad or we feel like we're doing something wrong. We feel like we're weird, and then they decide, man, I just want to be normal. And look, just live your life this way on the offensive. If somebody says, you know, when you're a teenager and they're like, oh, you don't drink, and they start making fun, you just make fun of them. You say, look, look, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a moron. I don't need to drink alcohol. I don't need to drink wine to kill my brain cells. I can have fun without it. God says it's wicked, and then you just get on the offensive. Let me tell you something. When you get on the offensive with people, they back off. 
You say, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have trouble with people because uh, they're going to want me to do this or do that. Just get, just get angry and get mad and get on the offensive. And people are going to back off. I promise you they will. They might think you're weird, but they'll back off. And it's always good to be weird. Um, but Jesus Christ... So, okay, it's very clear from the context. God doesn't even want you to look at wine. It's wicked. But Jesus Christ did turn water into wine. So, what was that wine? Was that alcohol? Now, think about this. If God said don't even look at it, and Jesus Christ created it, then we have a contradiction there, right? And we can't have a contradiction because Jesus Christ is perfect. And Jesus Christ can't sin. And if He sinned, then we're all condemned to hell. So, so what's the answer? Well, the answer is this. Jesus Christ did not create wine. He created juice. Which is also found in the Bible called wine. Let me show you. If you're in Proverbs, I want you to go to the book of Isaiah. You're going to go towards the right. And it's going to be the big book of the prophets there. So you're going to go through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then you'll get to Isaiah. It's that big book, Isaiah, and I want you to go to chapter number 65. Isaiah chapter number 65, and look at verse 8. Isaiah chapter number 65, and look at verse 8. Let me prove to you that the Bible uses the word wine as our word juice. Isaiah 65, 8. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord God. I'm sorry. It says, Thus saith the Lord. As the new wine is found in the cluster. That word cluster is referring to uh, a group of grapes that is still growing on a vine. So you know how you go down to the store and you'll get like a bag of grapes and they'll be all connected on a vine? Well, that cluster comes off of a vine, uh, you know, when it... So, so it's referring to that. It's referring to something that's not been fermented because alcohol, this is what alcohol is. Is when you take wine and you allow it to go bad. It's, it's called being fermented. Like, have, have you ever drank, like, rotten milk? Well, that's the same thing that you're drinking when you drink alcohol. It's stupid. It's the stupidest thing in the world. But people take wine, and they let it go bad, and then that turns into alcohol, or it's called fermentation, and then they drink it, and they, it kills your brain cells, you become an idiot. But it's just, it's just like taking milk, and letting it go rotten, and then drinking rotten milk. Who wants to do that? That's stupid. But, but God, look at this. The Bible says, as the new wine is found in the cluster... So God says this, this wine is new. It's still in the cluster. It hasn't gone bad. It hasn't been fermented. It says, And one say, destroy it not, for a blessing in it is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So the Bible says, as the new wine, referring to wine, He calls it new, and He said it's found, this new wine is found in the cluster. It's just like if we were to take a cluster of grapes, you know, squish them all up, and let the juice come out. And, that, and God refers to that as wine, which we today refer to as juice. Does that make sense? Let me show you another passage. Go to uh, Song of Solomon. So if you're in Isaiah, you want to go back uh, to the book of Song of Solomon. It'll be right next to Isaiah on the left-hand side. Song of Solomon, look at chapter number 8 and verse 2. Song of Solomon, chapter number 8, and look at verse 2. The Bible says, I would lead thee, and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me 
I would cause thee, look what it says, I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine, that's what we're talking about, look what he says, wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Now, now you think I lied to you, because the Bible would use that word juice. I guess what I should have said is, the word juice was in existence, but it's mainly used wine in the King James Bible. But there, God makes it very clear. He says, uh, I cause thee to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Now that word pomegranate is not even talking about grapes. It's talking about a different type of uh, fruit altogether. But it says that that wine or that juice can come from that pomegranate. Again, proving from the Bible that God uses those, that word wine and juice interchangeably. And most of the time in the King James Bible, it's the word wine. So sometimes... When you're reading the Bible, you'll find the word wine in the context of juice, and sometimes it'll be in the context of alcohol. So when Jesus Christ turned water into wine, obviously it was juice, because Jesus Christ went sin. And it's a sin to even look at alcohol, much less drink it. So how can you tell from the, from the Bible, when you're reading your Bible every day, how can you tell when God's referring to uh, wine as juice or alcohol? Well, let's, let's just do real quick... A real quick Bible study, and we'll just show you, I'm going to prove to you, you can always find it in the context. The context of the scripture, as you're reading the Bible, you can always find what it's referring to, either wine or alcohol. So let's just do it real quickly, go back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we're just going to look at the very first time that the word wine appears in the Bible, and we're just going to look at a few of them, and I just want to show you that, that, uh, that, how you can tell if it's wine. So, if you're in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, look at Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter number 9. And look at verse 18. Genesis chapter number 9, look at verse 18. We're going to find the very first time that the word wine is used in the Bible. Genesis chapter number 9, look at verse 18. The Bible says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. Look at verse 21. And he drank of the wine. Okay, so we find that first time the word wine is used in the Bible. He drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he uncovered, and he was uncovered within his tent. So the Bible says he, he drank of the wine, he got drunk, he got uncovered. That means he took his clothes off. Now, now think about this. Is taking your clothes off, according to the Bible, good or bad? Is it good or bad? What do you think? It's bad, right? So we understand from the context, I mean, he drank wine, he got drunk, he took his clothes off, he did something bad, so, you, so you, we can understand from the context, the wine is not juice. Because you don't get drunk off of juice. You get drunk off of wine. Or aspirin. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you, you know, you get drunk. You don't get drunk off a, off a juice. So he got drunk. He took his clothes off. Uh, let's keep reading. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a uh, garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. Look at verse 24, we're going to find the second time the word wine is used in the Bible. And Noah awoke from his wine. And when was the last time Grandma gives you one of those little fruit wine things that is just a bunch of sugar water, and you drink it all up, and then you, ha- and then like, you, know, you black out and... Three hours later, you wake from your juice. And that's not... But look what it says about Noah. And Noah awoke from his wine. So this wine, he woke from it because it knocked him out because it's alcohol. And Noah... Awo- and, and, and look, let me tell you something, kids. 
when you and I want I want the kids because I, I really just want to brainwash these kids to be just radical fundamental Baptists. When you drink wine, here's what happens. You think you're going to have all this fun. You wake up the next day, and you don't even remember what you did. You don't remember who you've been with. You don't remember what has happened. I mean, I don't understand how people think that's fun. You do all these crazy things, and you don't that aren't fun. And then you wake up with a headache. You can't remember what you did last night, and you're throwing up in the toilet. Does that sound like fun? That's not fun. That's stupid. If somebody tells you, oh, hey, drink this wine. Tell them, look, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a moron. You drink the wine. If you're stupid, I'm going to remember what I've done in my life. Okay? But look, Noah, the Bible says, he woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. So he doesn't even know what's been done to his body. And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant and a servant, uh, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. You're in Genesis chapter number 9. Look at verse, look at chapter 14. Genesis 14. Let's do it fast, okay? Genesis chapter number 14. Look at verse 18. And the Bible says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now who do we know? Who is Melchizedek from Hebrews? We know that he's without father, without mother, without beginning of days, without descent, right? So we know that's Jesus Christ. And Melchizedek, this is Jesus Christ. This is a... An Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there are a few times in the Old Testament when Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh. This is one of them. He appears to Joshua. and uh, So there's, there's times in the Old Testament when Jesus Christ in the flesh appears. Why? How can He do that? Because He's God. So, He doesn't have a mother. So He can do that. So, But here, here we read about Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. So he brought forth bread and wine, and he was a priest of the Most High God. That's it. That's the context. So who did we just say Melchizedek was in, in, in the book of Hebrews? He's Jesus Christ. Melchizedek in the Old Testament is the appearance of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, remember he had no mother. You said, how do we know he's God? Well, because if you want to read it, Melchizedek, Abraham comes to Melchizedek and he gives his tithe. You know, do you remember what the word tithe means? What does it mean? 10%, right? 10% of what he makes. And who do we give our tithe to? God. God. So Abraham came and brought his tithe to Melchizedek. And he presented his tithe to Melchizedek because Melchizedek is God. Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. It all makes sense. So, would Jesus Christ, the high priest, the, most, the, the priest of the Most High God, bring an alcoholic drink to the God who told us in Proverbs that we shouldn't even look at alcohol or wine. No. So obviously that's not wine. Okay, you're in Genesis 14. Uh, let's just look at a couple more, okay? Genesis 19. Go to Genesis chapter number 19 and look at verse 32. I mean, I, I literally have the first 15 times the, book, the word wine appears in the Bible, but we won't look at all of them. We'll just look at a few more, okay? Genesis 19, 32. Genesis chapter 19 and look at verse 32. The Bible says, Come! Let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. So again, we see there, and, and the fourth, the fourth, fifth, uh, sixth, seventh time uh, that that the word wine is used is in this this story in this same context. They're giving alcohol to somebody in order to be able to take advantage of them physically because when you drink alcohol you don't know what you're doing you have no control over your body and people can take advantage of you and that's the context they said 
they, they said, uh, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and that we may preserve our seed. So he said, we need to do something to him um, that he probably doesn't want us to do, so here's what we're going to do to take advantage of him. We're going to give him alcohol. That's what alcohol does. Someone get, and that's what I'm telling you. If somebody gives you alcohol, just... You say, well, that person wouldn't do that. Look, if somebody offers me alcohol, I don't care if it's a man, I don't care if it's a woman, I just assume that they want to do something bad to me. Because every time in the Bible that someone offers alcohol to somebody, they're going to do something to them. Because when you, do, when you drink alcohol, you don't, can't remember what happened, you don't know what's going on, you don't control your body. So look, if, somebody, you ever, if you ever just, you know, God forbid you'll never be at a party, but if you ever just somewhere, and someone offers you alcohol, just assume that that person wants to take advantage of you and say no. And just run screaming and yelling in the other direction, because alcohol is wicked as hell, and you shouldn't do that. But let me, uh, there's some in here that are very interesting I want to show you. Uh, go to Genesis chapter number 49 Genesis chapter number 49 and look at verse 11 Genesis chapter number 49 and look at verse 11 are you, are you understanding that wine and alcohol is just wicked and you should never drink it and you should never have friends who drink it Genesis chapter number 49 and look at verse 11 Genesis chapter number 49 and look at verse 11 the Bible says Genesis 49.11 says, Binding the foal unto the vine, and his ashes colt unto the choice wine, I'm sorry, choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and he clothed, and his clothes in the blood of grape. So he says, I, I want you to see these words. He uses the word vine, choice vine, wine, and then he says, in the blood of grape. So, Remember, vine means that it's still on the vine. It's still new. It hasn't been fermented, right? And he uses that word, those words twice. The vine and the choice vine. He says, uh, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass is cold unto the choice vine. So he's, he's tying up his animal to the vine. He washed his garments in wine, because he's near the vines, and his clothes, look what he says, in the blood of grapes. So he's, the, the idea is that he's taking grapes, he's destroying them, and what comes out is the blood of grapes, which would we would consider what? Juice. So again, in the context, what is wine? It is juice. Let me show you two more. Let's see. By the way, that was the 11th time that the word wine appeared in the Bible. Let me show you the uh, mm, let's see. Go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter number 10. I'm just going to show you two more, okay? Leviticus chapter number 10. And look at verse 8. Leviticus chapter number 10 and look at verse 8. We're going to see the 14th time that the word wine appears in the Bible. Leviticus chapter number 10 and verse 8. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, Thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, look what he says, lest ye die. God says, if you drink wine, if you drink strong drink, he said, and you walk into my temple, I'm going to kill you. He says, I hate alcohol. I, I don't want you to look at it. He said, if you walk into my temple with that stuff in your body, he said, I'm just going to kill you. No questions asked, I'm just going to kill you right there. He said, lest ye die, it shall be a statue forever. Through your generations. Do you remember on Sunday night we were talking about that in the New Testament your body is a temple of God? So God told the priest to not walk into the temple with alcohol. He said, if you walk into the temple with alcohol, I'm just going to kill you. 
in the New Testament, your body is a temple of God. So you think God wants you to put alcohol on your body? No. Okay? I'd be afraid that God is going to kill me. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to kill you if you do it, but I just have the fear of God and say, I'm not going to do that. But look at, so, so you see that? So God told, uh, this is what I want you to see. God told the priest, don't walk into the temple with alcohol. Now go to Leviticus 23.13. Okay? Leviticus 23.13. This is the last passage I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you all 15. But you were in Leviticus 10, right? Now go to Leviticus 23.13 and look what it says. God is again talking to the priest. Leviticus 23.13. He says, And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor, and a drink offering thereof shall be of, look what it says, wine. It shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hymn. So in Leviticus chapter number 10, God says, if you walk into my temple with wine, I'm going to kill you. But in Leviticus 23, 13, God says, when you're presenting an offering, I want you to present it of wine. So has God gone crazy? Leviticus 23, chapter 23. If you don't find it, it's fine. I, I read it to you. And if you want the note, I'll give it to you. But is God, is God insane? I mean, is he, t- he tells him in Leviticus 10, you walk into the temple with wine, I'm going to kill you. Leviticus 23, I want you to offer wine. So either God has a contradiction, or those are two different wines. Does that make sense? One is alcohol, one is a juice. Okay? So, we see there, it's very clear, if you're ever reading the Bible, and you see the word wine, and you want to know, is it talking about alcohol, or is it talking about uh, juice, just read the context. And the context will always let you know. Every time the word wine appears in the Bible, and it's alcohol, there's something bad going on. Period. Every single time. And if it's, if it's perfectly legal, if there's nothing bad going on, if it's the priest of the uh, Most High God offering wine, then it's just juice. It's, it's fine. Okay, so let's go back to John so we can finish this. John chapter number 2. John chapter number 2. And look at verse 3. Now, I just want to show you this real quick. Actually, look at verse 9. John chapter number 2 and look at verse 9. John chapter number 2 and look at verse 9. The Bible says... When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servant which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have all drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept that, thou hast kept the good wine until now. So look, the context of the story tells you that it's not alcohol. Because look, if somebody, if they just had all this alcohol, and they were just drinking it up, drinking it up, drinking it up. I mean, we saw from the Bible, you pass out, you don't remember, you don't have any control, you're babbling, you're just being taken advantage of. You think that this guy, after drinking all this alcohol, because they just ran out of alcohol, then he could just stand up and be like, this is the greatest alcohol I've ever drank. He wouldn't say that, because he'd be so drunk, he wouldn't even be able to understand that. Obviously, it's not wine, it's alcohol. Okay, we're done with that point. That's, that's the point. Alcohol is bad. And Jesus Christ did not turn water into alcohol. It was juice. Lesson number three from the beginning of miracles. Let's do it fast so we can finish it. Well, let's look at what we can just learn from this miracle. Look at what we can learn from this miracle. Are you in John chapter number two? Look at verse one. The Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother, which we now know is juice, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saved them to him, they have no wine. So they had not properly prepared for this wedding. 
They thought they had enough juice for the wedding, but they didn't. And look, look what happens. They didn't go to Jesus first. Only after they had no choice did they go to Jesus Christ. Now think about this. They had the all-powerful God in the flesh available and used Him only as a last resort. So what can we learn from this uh, beginning of miracles? Is always go to Jesus Christ first. Look, if you're... My wife and I try to do this all the time. If, if, if we're sick, like if I have a headache or I have a stomach pain, before you go, you know, get whatever, go to the doctor, go get whatever, just pray. Just always go to Jesus Christ first, okay? Just always go to Jesus first, because look, He can make the best wine in the world. He can make wine that is the best wine that you've ever tasted. They could have had the best wine in the world the entire wedding, but if they only had it at the end because they just kept God as a last resort. So, what can we learn? Always go to Christ first. Number two, what we can learn about that, under this point, is that they have to be obedient to Christ in order for Him to work. They have to be obedient to Christ in order for Him to work. Look at verse 4. John chapter number 2, look at verse 4. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother says unto the servants, Whatsoever He says unto you, do it. So look, if you want God to do something in your life, Perform a miracle like you did here. You're, you're going to grow up and you're going to, maybe, maybe one of these days you're going to start a church. Or one of these days you're going to have a family. Or one of these days you're going to have a need. Or you're going to have God and you're going to want to go to God and you're going to say, God, I want you to perform a miracle for me. I want you to do something great in my life. God can only do it if you do this. Whatsoever He saith unto you, do it. You have to obey Jesus Christ. You have to obey what the Bible says. And obviously we're not perfect and we're always going to mess up. But you've got to be in this mode where you're just obeying God. Because look, we go to God and we say, God, do this for me. And, and God said, you're not even obedient in the smallest things. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. What else can we learn from this miracle? We can learn this. When Jesus works, there's no room for anyone else. Look at verse 6. John chapter number 2, look at verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And look what he says. And they filled them up to the brim. So they had these water pots, and they, had, they were filling them with water. And God, Jesus Christ had filled them to water, and they filled them to the brim. That means they filled them to the top. So all there was was water. There was not enough room for someone. It wasn't like they got a little bit of grape juice, and then they just you know, dumped a lot of water in it. And made it last. It wasn't. No one else could add anything. No one else could put anything. They just had this. They they had these pots, and they had water. They were filled to the top. And if anybody was going to turn that into wine, it was going to be Jesus Christ all by himself. And that's a perfect uh, a picture of our salvation. People look. People are going to try to tell you this: uh, that I have to be a good person to go to heaven. If I'm going to go to heaven, then it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His faith, they say they agree with that, but it's also how I live my life. Or it's also repenting of my sins. Or it's also feeling bad about my sins. Or it's also adding my good works, or adding this to that, or I have to get baptized, or I have to go to church, or I have to get my money. And they always try to add something to it. And Jesus Christ says, when I work, I work alone. He says, when Jesus works, there's no room for anyone else. He says, if I'm going to turn this water into wine, then He said, I'm going to turn all of it to wine. Fill it to the brim. And if you're going to get saved, or you're going to let God work in your life, you're just going to have to decide, it's all God or nothing. The Bible says that if, if the deeds of the law, um, if, 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 if righteousness comes by the deeds of the law, I'm messing that verse up, but it says that Christ died in vain. If we can be justified because we keep the law, because we do good works, and the Bible says, Jesus Christ says, then what's the point of me dying? He says, if I'm going to save you, I'm going to fill it to the top. If I'm going to save you, I'm going to do it all by myself. 
When God works, He works alone. Obviously, God uses us in a capacity to go so winning, but I'm saying God works alone. When He saves you, He saves you all by Himself. You can't add anything to that. So here's the last thing. Those were things we could learn from that miracle. Always go to God first. Always go to Jesus Christ first. God works. He can, he can fill it to the top. But you've got to obey Him. But here's the last thing from the beginning of miracles. Is this. The purpose of the miracle. You're in John chapter number 2. Look at verse 11. This is the last thing, okay? John chapter number 2 and look at verse 11. The Bible says... This beginning of miracles, here's where we know that this was the first miracle, because the Bible says this was the beginning of miracles. Did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, look what it says, and manifested forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. What was the purpose of the first, and really all miracles in the Bible was this, that He would manifest His glory, that He would show His power, and that people would believe on Him. Let me tell you something. We, we, we survey God. I think we get away from this or we shy away from it because, because of the Pentecostals. Again, that same thing that I'm telling you about being on the defensive. we got to just get on the offensive. Look, we serve a God that can perform miracles. You, you guys, when you read these stories, when you're reading these stories and you're learning these stories, understand this really happened. Jesus Christ really did turn water into wine. Jesus Christ really did heal people and made the blind to see and made the lame to walk. Jesus Christ, when, when God says that He parted the Red Sea, God literally, there is a sea in, uh, in Egypt or wherever it was, the, the Red Sea, you know, in that desert, that God parted. I mean, He literally parted. When, and when Joshua, when it says that God uh, stopped the sun, the, God literally stopped the sun. I mean, all the miracles that you read in the Bible, when the Bible says that God spoke the world into existence, He literally opened His mouth, and boom, we were here. Everything that the Bible talks about that God did, all those miracles that Jesus Christ performed, when He said that He rose up Lazarus from the dead, and when He rose Himself up from the grave, all those things, or when God rose Jesus Christ from the dead, all those things really happened. And Jesus Christ can perform miracles today. When you pray for your Grammy to get saved, God can do that today. But we've got to have faith, and we've got to be obedient. Look, I believe that God can do miracles. I believe that God can establish this church. I believe that God can use us in uh, and, and this generation to just be this soul-winning army going out and getting all these people saved. You say, well, well, there's not many people here. Look, there's enough of us here to go out and just tear up this world, turn this world upside down. There's an, I mean, when we were preaching on Sunday morning about reviving the bones and when Ezekiel prophesied to the bones and they came to life. That's a story in Ezekiel. That's a cool story. Where he goes to this graveyard and he prophesies to these bones and the Bible says that God picks up this army that is dead. They've been dead for a long time. And he brings the bones together and he joins the bones together and he puts sinews or muscles on those bones and he puts skin on those bones and he raises up this army. That really happened. And God can do that today. You say, Sacramento is dead. I know it's dead. But God can do that today. And we can raise a great army in the same Jesus Christ who can turn water into wine, can do anything that you ask Him to do. If you have faith in Him and if you believe. If you believe and if you obey Him. We serve a God that can perform miracles. Don't let the Pentecostals take that away from you. God in Jesus Christ can do miracles today. We gotta obey him, we gotta believe him, and we gotta ask him to. So let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be able to 
come here and study your Bible and read your word and learn something from it. We love you, Lord, so much. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.